spreading Cajun across the nation, pushing the brand across the land. Welcome to Ragin' Review, made by the fans for the fans. Jerry Bear here with my co-host Matt Miguez and welcome to another edition of Ragin' Review uh, as we discuss what's going to happen. You know, we're going to have college football, our, our, our sports coming back soon. Uh, slowly but surely we wean our way back into society with uh, phase one and with that comes a little sense of normalcy but a lot of questions of what are we going to see in three to four months. And uh, again, once again, I have my co-host here, Matt Miguez with me. Matt, what's going on, man? What's going on, Jerry? Oh, nothing. Nothing much. Just another day, another grind. And uh, also, too, we have a special guest with us. Um, we wanted to reach out to him. Uh, right now, everything going on in college athletics, you know, uh, I think it's it's easy to say that whether you're a P5, a G5, Division two, Division three, I think we're all sort of uh, reeling or feeling the same effects from this COVID-19 pandemic, you know, with the seasons being canceled, some seasons possibly being postponed, sports being dropped from athletic programs. We wanted to get a perspective from a fellow G5 member, very similar to ours. And uh, most of you Cajun fans, if not all of you Cajun fans, will know about this uh, this school because we played them in football this year. It was a non-conference game, third game of the season. Of course, the Cajuns were victorious when they played, but uh, a school that we tend to respect, a school that we tend to look at as uh, sort of a very similar uh, a model uh, that we have with our athletic program. We have the voice of the Ohio Bobcats, Mr. Russ Eisenstein. Russ, what's going on, man? Jerry, Matt, how are you guys doing? Hope you're staying safe and healthy down there. And, and you're right. Uh, there's a great deal of respect, I think, both ways. I think Bobcat fans and, and folks in the MAC most certainly respect the Sun Belt. And Louisiana, uh, and I'm sure hopefully uh, Sunville fans and Louisiana fans respect Ohio on the Mac. So always good to chat with you guys and uh, love your fan base, love your program, and looking forward to a good discussion here. Well, thanks. For, well, we really appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming on with us today. And again, we wanted to have you on because, um, you know, we only know so much of what's going on in college athletics. We only know so much from a local standpoint. You know, we've got We've got so many schools in Louisiana right now that, you know, what what does tomorrow bring, right? Especially at the G5 level. And and we but we wanted some perspective from uh, a G5 school again that, you know, we can relate to, um, that that has uh, a history to it, that is going through the same thing we're going through. And right now, um, with everything going on, believe it or not, with with schools just dropping sports like you know just finding out bowling green just dropped baseball uh you know university of cincinnati just dropped their their uh, men's uh, uh soccer program 
Appalachian State, a fellow Sunbelt member, dropped three of their sports. Uh, the MAC came out with breaking news about a month ago that uh, for the next few years, there's not going to be a MAC baseball tournament. Uh, the, the winner of the regular season is going to go to uh, a regional as an automatic bid. Right. And, and all of these things to cut costs, right, because of the pandemic that we're going through. And so we wanted to get a perspective of what, what you guys are going through up in Ohio. Uh, what kind of issues do you face, not only as a school, not only as an athletic program, but a member of the MAC? What, what news have you heard from the MAC? Uh, I'll start off by asking this. Um, since this pandemic has started, what direction has uh, Ohio University's athletic uh, program, what direction have they gone in and what has happened since? Well, it's been an interesting time, uh, Jerry, and, and I was on the air um, in the pregame show uh, that turned out to be an extended pregame show of a game that never happened at the MAC tournament in Cleveland. Ohio had won uh, over Central Michigan in the quarter in the first round to advance to the quarterfinals and we were on the air for the noon game uh, at uh, Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse in downtown Cleveland, uh, ready to take on the Akron Zips and former Ohio head coach John Gross. Um, and that didn't happen. Uh, there was a delay, a delay, a delay. And then eventually the last play-by-play -play that I did uh, for the 2019-20 athletic season, athletic year, was a scrimmage on the floor of Ohio players against Ohio players uh, on an NBA uh, floor. Um, and that's how it all concluded. And then obviously the, the week since, and that was what, 10, 11 weeks ago now. Um, and yes, everything has been turned upside down. Uh, the sports world is, is not immune to it. Um, the whole world uh, has had to deal with it. And so to, to break it back down to the, the group of five level and the Mid-American Conference and the Ohio level, everyone is trying to formulate plans on how to be uh, uh, financially viable moving forward. Uh, on, on what it does to budgets, on, on what it does to um, little things within an athletic department, and then the big things within an athletic department. Uh, you touched on the fact that, that the MAC has uh, decided to uh, forego postseasons in, in all sports with the exception of uh, postseason tournaments uh, for all sports with the exception of, of uh, men's and women's basketball and obviously the football championship game in Detroit. Uh, everybody's trying to crunch the numbers to see what's, what's possible and what isn't possible. Um, and, and you mentioned Bowling Green dropping uh, baseball, which is, which is sad. Uh, it's, it's a tough thing to see. Um, but I think that every department on our level across the country is taking a look at, well, how are we going to stay alive in a sports sense moving forward? Uh, and that's tough. And, and, and there is no real answer right now. Uh, I think everyone's just trying to line things up and waiting for something to happen. Uh, we've all had our Zoom meetings or our, our Zoom calls within the department uh, about broadcasting and marketing and ticketing and, and all of that um, and just trying to stay connected. Uh, but it's a, it's a, a, a new normal and, and maybe the old normal doesn't return. And I think we're all just waiting for a resolution here on if there's going to be a start of a season, if there's going to be a season at all. And um, Obviously, we, we're, we're not going to get political here. We're not going not to uh, delve into those sort of waters. But uh, the facts are the facts. Uh, the virus and the response to it is going to dictate uh, things like sports. And as of right now, there is no resolution to that yet. But we're coming close to the date, guys, where we're going to have to start to, to uh, come to some pretty uh, hard-hitting facts on if we're going to play or not. And uh, I think the next 
four weeks are going to be very interesting when it comes to that. Chatting with Russ Eisenstein, the radio voice of the Ohio Bobcats. Russ, you know, without getting political, like you said, I want to kind of get your take on, do you think that there's going to be a season? Um, I kind of go around and around on that. Um, it, it, it all is, is a case-by-case basis and state-by-state basis. So right now, I, um, during it's been a, a pretty interesting uh, kind of isolation quarantine pandemic for me. I had to get a car, get a new phone. My parents moved, so I'm back in Illinois kind of attending to all of those matters. And the state of Illinois right now is, is uh, still a little further uh, behind maybe uh, when it comes to opening. Uh, so, for example, this is uh, just very personal to me. Uh, gyms are open up back in Ohio again. They aren't open in Illinois. Uh, so I'll, I'll head back uh, to Ohio to uh, get back to my place there and, and hit the gym um, and just try to get back to normal life. Um, so the question that I have, and I, I don't mean to be dismissive to your question, um, but the question that I have is, will everybody be able to get on the same page? Will there be enough of the same page uh, for a season to occur? Um, and as of right now, if, if there are secondary spikes, if there is a secondary wave, um, is, is there going to be enough of a college football landscape for there to actually be a season? Um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm hopeful. We all are hopeful. But there's a reality here. Um, is everybody going to be able to get going? Um, and will they be able to keep it going? I think there are way too many questions right now, unfortunately, to say definitively yes. But, we, but we've got to be hopeful and you've got to plan for it. Um, we're right around 100 days until the start of the season. And uh, I don't know if there's been enough solidified right now to say yes. And we're definitely going to have football. I, and and maybe, maybe it's different in different regions of the country, but I'm, I'm approaching it from a Midwestern standpoint right now, a Northern standpoint right now. Um, I, I don't know. And there, there are just way too many programs in way too many states. You know, here in, in Illinois, there are three FBS schools, Northern Illinois, Northwestern, and Illinois. Um, there's no way of knowing if they're going to be ready. So would the Big Ten be able to play without all of their members, Rutgers included? You know, the Pac-12, are they going to be able to get going with, with California, Washington, and Oregon? So not to be dismissive of your question, it's a good question. Everybody's asking it. And I'd be interested to hear y'all's thoughts too, but um, there's way too much unknown and unsolidified right now to say definitively yes or no. Um, but I, if you were putting a gun to my head and say, give us your thoughts, definitively uh i think there would be a delay um and i would think that it's trending towards very limited crowds if crowds at all yeah i i think that's gonna end up being you know the the reality of of the situation i think if there's a football season at all it's going to be one with a very limited capacity of fans or like you said no fans at all yeah i'll be honest with you russ um I think at this point, we're still scratching the surface of, like I said, getting people back into a society that 
allows you to, to go out and do stuff, right? I mean, uh, you know, and like I said, in Louisiana, we're in phase one. You know, people are back in the streets. They're on the roads. They're eating at restaurants. Now, they're doing it with a limit, right? They're doing it at the 25% capacity. But you're starting to get kind of that 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 people are getting back into a routine but the question it's a big question and it's the elephant in the room is you know is there going to be a second wave we don't know i'm not a doctor i'm not <laughs> i'm not in the medical field but um as far as football season goes uh i i i do believe like both of you have said that it will be there will be there will be some altercations to it do i think the football season is going to be canceled Probably not. I think that with these, you know, when it comes to a monetary, when it comes to a monetary uh, standpoint, I don't think some of these schools have a choice but to play. I think it's at the point where if they do play, they'll postpone the season and they'll play without fans if they have to. Um, I just think there's too much money at stake for these schools. And but you have to draw the line of well, what about whether it's money or safety. Um, that's a whole different topic, but I do, I do think there'll be a season, but just not the season that we're used to. I think that there's a possibility, like I said, they'll postpone it or there'll be a season without fans. And look, I told my wife last week, you know, I was upset when they started postponing the basketball tournaments, when they said they originally announced for baseball that there's going to be about a three week stretch where fans can't go. And I was kind of like, why, you know, cause we really didn't know much about COVID-19 at the time, but you saw schools getting ahead of the game. I'll be honest with you now, after everything we've experienced over the past three months, I'll be more than happy to have football without having to go to the game. Absolutely. I'll, I'll, I will, I will watch the game at home. I'll sit at my TV and watch football if I can't go to the game, it's not going to be, to me, it's not going to be the end of the world. You know, um, I'd be okay with that, but I think there's a lot that has to happen from, from uh, between now, which is, you know, we're in late May, early June, all the way to, to early September. And, and, and another issue is, and I'll bring this question up to you, Russ is, you know, we're seeing around the country that, there's a lot of there's some states because each state is different, right? You know, there's some states that have, that are about to start phase two. There's some states that are still at a stay at home order. There's some states that are in phase one. And some of the states that are at a stay at home order have a lot of P5 schools there. You know, California right now is a stay at home. Michigan right now is a stay at home. A lot of influ influential uh, college programs that belong in those states. Um, another question, I guess I have, in your opinion, if some of these schools are still either shut down or don't allow students. And you've got some of these, these commissioners that say it's all or nothing. What do you do? Especially at our level. I mean, if we have a schedule with a P five school that says, look, we're not bringing students in. We're in a conference that might not want to play. Do you just cancel the game? Do you try to find ways to uh, have an alternate schedule? What, what do you, what, what, what is your mindset on that? Yeah, that's difficult. And, and again, it comes down to financial considerations, too. So Ohio's uh, money game this year is at Boston College. Um, and there would also be a, a non-con with a, a Sun Belt school in Texas State. That's a return game of a game that Ohio lost in, in multi-overtimes a couple of years ago in Athens. Um, and, and I know that uh, just pulled up uh, uh, the Cajun schedule here. Uh, a really good get of getting Wyoming. Uh, to come in. I think that's a, that's a fun game after, obviously, the, the local tie and playing Big Knee State. Uh, and then the, the money game would be at the end of November in that slotted part of the schedule against uh, an SEC school in, in Missouri. So um, Louisiana, I would assume, um, is, is not dissimilar to schools in the MAC where 
where you need to have that money game to, to help solidify things. Well, Ohio needs that too, um, and the rest of the MAC does. Uh, so delaying the start or uh, playing just conference games really would hurt the bottom line of so many schools when it comes to their scheduling and, and department setup. In our league, in the MAC, it's been documented that, that Akron uh, is, is in a, a great deal of financial trouble when it comes to their athletic department. And there, there could be a multitude of reasons for it, but it comes down to the bottom line that money is really important here. Um, so as you were talking about uh, weighing the safety of players uh, versus uh, uh, money, I would hope that the safety uh, of a human being, student athlete or not, anybody associated with the program or sport needs to win out over the money and financial concerns. Um, and then you, then you throw in uh, TV money and all of that. Would there be more that could be given out to a group of five schools um, if those if those games are just on TV, could there be a benefit there? So again, there are way more questions than answers right now. Uh, but when it comes to students being on campus, student athletes being on campus, um, it will be interesting to see if, if the schools that have come out and definitively said they're planning for it, actually get to the finish line there and get students back on campus. Because again, too, we got to think about the financial concerns of, of communities that, that our universities are in. Now, uh, Lafayette uh, has uh, more to it just by nature than, than Athens does. Uh, Athens uh, has the university and, and maybe you know, 15 to 20,000 more individuals that live in town. Uh, Lafayette has, has a little bit more business to it. Uh, it's a regional hub, obviously, as well. Um, so uh, Ohio and, and Athens, they need each other. Um, but obviously, there would be an impact on, on Lafayette's standpoint, too, with the university as well. So there are so many considerations here, guys. It's just it's amazing, though, that we have to have these conversations. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, it's crazy because I think at this point, um, you know, and it's been the whole topic of, of this entire pandemic. It's like we've talked about before off off the uh, off the air, like, you know, we have to be safe. That's number one. Be safe. You know, try to you know, do the social distancing thing. Try to stay healthy. At the same time, where do you draw the line for people that need to go back to work? Uh, people that have need to open business back up to bring income in for their to provide for their families, and it kind of pours in. And the same conversation pours in with with athletics. I mean, it's the same thing that you need you need to get revenue somewhere. And and so it's one thing to be safe. It's one thing to be healthy, but at the same time, you carry the liability if you do go back and you get back to sense of normalcy and you play the game, and one player gets the COVID nineteen again. Or multiple, I mean, and not going with this doesn't happen, but multiple athletes get COVID-19 again. Now the liability is on the school and the liability is on the conference. So, but at the same time, you know, if they're not making money, this is, I mean, this going to be some long-term financial pain. So it's a very, very sensitive line that has to be drawn somewhere. And I think it's safe to say that we're all on the same page that we want to be safe, but at the same time, just be very aware that, you know, one decision of canceling the season or postponing or postponing games, it can have a long-term effect on your program. Without a doubt. And, and part of that too is just from a first world standpoint here, I'm a broadcaster. That's, that's my primary role sure. uh, with Ohio university athletics. 
so if there are no gains, um, is my position that valuable to uh, reap in the the million dollars? No, I don't make a million dollars with Ohio Athletics, but the money that they, that they pay me. <laughs> And so there are so many other positions at all of these athletic departments across the entire country. I, I think it's been awesome uh, uh, from uh, a Louisiana standpoint uh, that they brought Jay Walker into the fold uh, within uh, the, the website and, and doing a, a podcast and, and video interviews. I think that's awesome. And, and Jay does such a great job uh, for, for Cajun Nation. And, and I've listened to his broadcasts. Um, in addition to our friendship uh, and following the Cajuns as well. So I pulled in some of those broadcasts uh, on the web and, and listened to those games. But um, from, from the long term, what would canceling or, or altering the season do to, to not only the student athletes, um, but also the folks that work in athletic departments all over the country? So this, there are so many dominoes here um, that need to stay upright or fall forward or unfortunately, if it doesn't work out positively, would, would fall backwards. And um, we're all just waiting to see. You know, there have been furlough days at a lot of universities, um, uh, at uh, coaches, uh, uh, high-profile coaches taking uh, pay cuts, which, which is important to see. Um, and we'll see how long that stretches out. But, but football is a real big key here to all of it. You know, Russ. One one thing that that's been the topic of conversation in the in the G five world is is conference realignment, and you know it's something that we talked about off the air. But I kind of want to get your opinion on could conference realignment not only work but benefit the conferences in the G five? Uh, yes. Uh, to answer your question, I, I think it, it, it could. Um, and I, I think we've all been kind of dancing around um, the elephant in the room of um, football being the one sport in college athletics where um, there are a number of, of schools or conferences that, that just don't have access um, to a national championship. Um, obviously, Louisiana's gone to the College World Series before in, in, in baseball and softball. So that is a reachable star for the Cajuns and anybody else in the Sun Belt. Out of the MAC, Kent State has gone to Omaha. That's a possibility. Ohio has been to Omaha before. Mike Schmidt uh, played in the College World Series as a Bobcat. Uh, on the men's basketball side, you've got uh, teams and programs uh, from uh, schools uh, and, and conferences that people wouldn't normally expect to, to have access to the final four, uh, you know, Loyola, uh, Butler, Wichita state, VCU, but football is the one where it would be, um, really, really, really amazing. And it would really, really, really be hard for a Louisiana or Ohio to be in any talk for a national championship. And so that's a roundabout way to get to the point of will the, will the power schools break off? Will the group of five uh, kind of uh, congeal into a, a reworked FCS? Um, there's a lot of ego involved there, uh, obviously, uh, in, in, in dropping down. Um, would the power fives break off and do their own thing? Um, originally, I thought the last bit of expansion and, and, and movement of conferences were going to lead to that. It didn't. But with the virus and everything going on there, Maybe this is the time that that does happen. 
I'm not saying that it should or shouldn't. I'm just saying that that's a possibility. I, I'm, I'm a graduate of Southern Illinois. Uh, I'm an FCS school, one AA school uh, graduate. There is nothing wrong with playing for a FCS championship. Uh, you see North Dakota State bring 15,000 fans to Frisco. James Madison brought it on this past year. Um, that's got to be on the table now talking about financial spending for these athletic departments. And, and look, we're, we're in leagues where midweek football um, is a thing. And uh, there are a lot of eyes on our games, but there just aren't a lot of fans in the stands for a lot of these midweek games. Uh, Ohio's last regular season game was played in front of less than a thousand people at Akron. Um, so you, you've got to start to have some of these tough discussions um, about the, the long-term viability of playing on the highest level of college football. And I'm not saying that, that you need to just drop down entirely, but maybe it's reworked and maybe there are more regional conferences. The MAC is very regional. Um, Obviously, it stretches from northern Illinois to Buffalo, and then Ohio actually is in the tropics in the MAC. It's the southernmost school. Um, and then you go up to central Michigan. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, it, it's, it's fairly regional. But for the Sun Belt, I mean, you, you got to go from obviously uh, Louisiana out to, to Boone, North Carolina, and, and coastal Carolina. Um, there's a lot to it there. And, and so you start to add up all the money that, that's spent on all of these sports. So we've got to start to have that realistic discussion about what we're doing when it comes to structure of classification and of conferences. And Matt, yeah, absolutely. That's got to be on the table now. Um, and, and I hope it is because I think it would be a great benefit moving forward. Yeah, you know, you know Ted, to add to your point, our, our athletic director, Brian Maggard, was presented with a similar question, and he, he said, you know, it just doesn't make sense from an economic standpoint for us to go to, like you said, Boone, North Carolina, or Conway, when we're passing over talented schools like Southern Miss or Tulane right. or Louisiana Tech that we don't play on a regular basis anymore. Well, it just yeah. makes more economic sense to drive to a school that we can play at just as high of a level than flying all the way up to North Carolina. And, and, and two right. other things, too. From a financial standpoint, like you said, Matt, I agree 100%. It makes economic sense. But also, you're creating – you're renewing rivalries and you're drawing right. fan interest. I mean, look, I'm going to tell you right now. And, and, and I heard it's it, through a, a mutual friend of ours. He told me a story, I think this was two years ago, Billy Napier's first season, and it was the first year that we faced Coastal Carolina. That was when Coastal came in and Coastal beat us. They upset us at Cajun Field. Yeah, and like fans are leaving the game going, well, who did we just lose to? Who's that? You know, yeah. I mean, and, and outside of – no, don't get me wrong. They knew who Coastal Carolina was in baseball, but in football they're like, did we, did we really just lose to them and it's a conference game? And so the problem with that is – Number one, you draw, you, you, you draw a lot of risk because you're playing teams that not many people have heard of compared to if you were to play Louisiana Tech, Rice, Southern Miss, teams that we used to play on a regular basis every year back in the day. And then also, right. too, because you don't have that interest, people aren't going to go to your games. But if you have Louisiana Tech or Rice come into Lafayette, instead of the normal 17,000 people that show up to watch us play, you're going to you know, have 30. Uh, Georgia State, you're going to have twenty five to 30,000 people and vice versa. 
when we go travel to Houston, when we go up to Ruston, when we go up to Hattiesburg, it's going to be the same thing. And not just in football, baseball, basketball, softball. I mean, there's so many other sports that, that get affected by this, especially with the travel. I mean, look, your volleyball team traveling to Conway, South Carolina, no disrespect to Coastal, but it's not cheap. It's not cheap to have to go all the way there or, or your golf team having to go to Statesboro, Georgia. It adds up on your budget, and we just don't have the budget to be able to maintain that on a, on a, on a, with, a, with a sense of longevity to it. You know, I mean, you look at Conference USA. Look at UTEP. They're out, way, they're out in the wild, wild west. Imagine their volleyball team having to go to Old Dominion all the way in Virginia to, to, for a midweek volleyball match. I mean, that's not cheap. Yeah. And then, and then they're back in El Paso for a game that Friday. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, you it, know, it, guys. Yeah. It, it, and, and, and I think we're all in agreement here. The bottom line here, ego is such an important part of life. And, and I'm not saying it, it's a positive, um, but it is an important part of life. Uh, and there are a lot of reasons why schools don't play each other or don't want to associate with each other. And ego and, and perceived importance level is a part of that. There is no Louisiana doubt in my Tech. mind that, that Louisiana and Louisiana Tech should play in everything often and probably should be in the same league. Uh, but that's just a local example to a lot of things. In the state of Illinois, Northern Illinois and Illinois should play regularly in everything. They don't. Um, and that's the way it is across the country. This pandemic here, has, has brought life and death into our everyday life. We suspend disbelief often, right? Well, let's all just get together, forget the egos, and work on something that would be really cool for a lot of people. And, and that's when it comes that, back down to scheduling in college athletics. And, and that's all a big part of it. Jeez, Russ, get that common sense out of here. How dare you bring rationality to the conversation? <laughs> you know, it's funny I'm because... A <laughs> you know, but but ironically, um, you know, you say that, and, and what's funny is even at the P5 level, and, and we, you know, being in Louisiana, you know, we've got the school to the east, we've got LSU, we've got, you know, Texas to the west, we're, you know, we're surrounded, even outside of Louisiana, by a bunch of P5 schools, Big 12, SEC, and the reality is, a lot of those fans, and I got no disrespect to any of those fans, I'm friends with a lot of people from different fan bases, big or small, and in your situation, you've got Ohio State, you know, in Ohio, that you have to deal with and you have their fan base that I'm sure you, you mingle with every now and then. The reality is, is a lot of times, and I notice this about P5 fan bases, not all of them, a lot of them have common sense, but there are a few of them who just see it from the P5 perspective. So I'll give you an example. LSU and Ohio State are two universities that are most, I think, I want to say Ohio State is self-funded, correct? Based, they don't get any state funding? There are state funding to all schools within the state. They aren't their own enterprise, Ohio State okay. Athletics. Yeah. So, so LSU is, is self-funded. Now they'll get some state funding every now and then, like very rare, very rare, but they, but, they, but it's, get, they get state funding. It's, it's rare though. What I'm saying is though, you've got some of these schools that can support themselves through private donations or private donors. And the, I, the problem is they only see it through their angle. So in their minds, it's, mm-hmm. well, so what if the P5 splits up, we can take care of ourselves. What they forget and what they don't realize, and I have to bring this up in the conversation, out of the 60 or 70 P5 schools that exist, only like 45 to 50% of them could have that luxury of being self-funded or have a fan base that's big enough or a donor base big enough to, to sustain 
uh, a financial advantage. Um, you look at schools like, for example, Missouri, even KU, Kansas, they've just announced that they're cutting their coaches' salaries by 10% across the board because they just don't have the money. So, so the question is now, if you move forward uh, with, like you talked about, splitting the P5 from the G5, are half of those P5 schools, could they even compete at that level? You know, you look at a Syracuse, a Wake Forest, uh, um, um, I don't know. I, I'll just throw some names out there that, you know. Um, Kansas. Yeah, I mean, Kansas State, Iowa State, um, uh, uh, Rutgers. Could some of these schools survive with that model? I don't know. Now, University of Texas, Alabama, USC, LSU, University of Florida, Ohio State, Michigan, they'll be fine. But I try to explain to P5 fans, if you want to split up, that's that's fine. But understand, out of the 60 or 70 schools that are competing, only 35 to 40% of those schools are going to be able to be financially stable. I mean, would you say that's pretty accurate, Russ? Well, there are a lot of questions to that. Um, it comes back to the fact that in college athletics, everyone thought uh, a large percentage of folks thought that it was just going to go on that way forever. Um, that every dollar coming in needed to be spent in, in some way. Um, the big part of this is uh, uh, the, the pro high profile sports coaching salaries. Um, and at the, the, the power fives, uh, the coordinator positions um, and, and the facility uh, arms race. Uh, everybody had to spend all that money that was coming in. Well, what about the rainy day? Well, it, it, it's not raining here in Northern Illinois right now, but it's raining all of uh, all over the, the college athletics world right now. So this is the rainy day. And so we're, we're, we're uh, reaping what we sowed. Um, uh, and, and when it comes to uh, financial planning. Um, so I, I, I don't know how many departments across the country uh, even in that group of, of 35 schools that you talked about, would be financially good to go. And that even includes the, the, the uh, programs that are their own entity. Uh, so it'd be interesting to see uh, how many would be involved in that equation. The other thing, too, the, the, the schools that you mentioned, maybe of the Kansas State, Iowa State, or Wake Forest, because of, of, of the conferences that they're in, they've got a chance. Yeah. If, if, if they get a couple of players, if they have a good recruiting class, they're, they're still going to have that link to winning a conference title. Now, it might not be every year, but there, are, there is enough of a chance in, in, in the span of four to five years um, where, where maybe Wake Forest can win a division title, which they've done, and, and, and maybe win the ACC. Maybe Iowa State gets hot one year and they win that. Kansas State, Kansas. There are enough examples there. So that possibility is what keeps them going to say you know what we're, we're in this yeah we're big 12 yeah we're acc we're, we're as much of a member as anybody else and that's going to keep them going yeah yeah you know there, there's no question you know russ i, I kind of want to get your opinion it it seems like there's some difference in in opinion here of those of those power five schools, how many, if you had to guess, if, if it went to where the P five would split off, how many would you say could make it? Well, I, I think we'd be 
taking a look at, at two things. Um, would there be uh, a, a, a reworking of, of conferences uh, or would entire leagues uh, split off and, and stay solidified? The other thing about that too is um, Boise State is not on the same level as, as say, Ohio. If we're talking about what they've done in their program, the money that they have coming in, and, and that's not any disrespect to Ohio, um, but it just shows that, that Boise State has been in those games. I saw, saw the other day they had a replay of uh, Kellen Moore and Boise State taking on Georgia in Atlanta to open up the season. That's, that's the spotlight that Boise State is under. So I would think that Boise State would say, you know what? We think we're on that level and we're going to try to give it a shot. And that's where ego comes in here. You've got to have a real good understanding of who you are and what's possible. And Boise State has proven on the football side that they can play on that highest level. And then maybe if they jump up to that power five level through the reclassification, they get more respect. But frankly, if there are people that are saying that Boise State football isn't anything after all they've accomplished, then they never will. And also, if they don't have the respect for a school like Boise State in football, how are they nationally going to respect Louisiana or Ohio or anybody else in the Sun Belt or the MAC? These are the tough conversations that, that programs are going to have to have. And, and there's a lot to respect out of Louisiana. There's a lot to respect out of Ohio. I think Billy Napier's done a tremendous job, and I love the way that that program is pointed towards. And it's a great fan base, and it's a wonderful program. And Ohio's the same way under Frank Solich. Everyone needs to take a look at what's possible, what a realistic end game is. And with the pandemic and the virus, that brings all of these questions up of, of what is realistic for all of these types of schools. Now, with that said, what is going on? Um, have you? I, I know you've probably interacted with a few of the fan base or some of the fan base or fans in uh, Ohio, in Athens. Uh, and I'm sure you've spoken with your athletic director a few times. What is going on uh, with the program itself uh, moving forward and what kind of moves are being made at Ohio? Financially speaking, are you guys doing okay when it comes to the athletic budget? Uh, I haven't heard anything about dropping sports or anything like that. What's the current situation with the Ohio athletic program um, as opposed to, say, like what the conference is doing? Yeah, uh, I, I think Ohio is in the same spot as a lot of different schools across the country. Um, it, 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 when, when you're on this level um, and when you're playing the game that Ohio has to play, um, you, are, you are getting by. Um, but I don't think there is anybody in the MAC, um, successful or not, uh, bowl wins or not, um, that could say they could be able to take the hit of not having a football season. Um, and so there, there have been furlough days. There have been um, coaching contracts that have been reduced um, by, by percentages. Jeff Bowles, Ohio's men's basketball coach, Frank Solich, Ohio's football coach, they're taking a 10% um, uh, pay cut. Uh, furloughs uh, are, are, are occurring uh, based on your, your salary level, uh, the amount of days that you have to take. Um, and so there's a lot of number crunching right now. Um, there have been uh, positions within the university and the department that have been shuffled around. And so everyone is really just taking a look at that bottom line. 
And obviously there are going to be some tough questions, like we talked about earlier, uh, of if there is no football, what does that do to all of these departments? And, you know, we're, we're, we're heading towards it. There's, there's going to have to be a resolution soon because there's a whole lot at stake. And, uh, yeah, I, I would think that, that folks within Louisiana's athletic department are number crunching on the daily, and Ohio's uh, people are too. And we're all just waiting to see if, if the biggest thing, the biggest financial thing out there right now, college football, is going to occur. And if it occurs enough for um, the entire department to be able to go on functioning the way that we hope that, that, uh, that it does. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I think right now it's like you said, I think it's definitely a, a day-to-day situation with all of us. I think we're all in that same boat. Um, it, it, it's really sad when I have to see on the news that uh, certain programs are dropping sports, certain programs are going on a hiatus, because it really makes me ask the next question, you know, a school like Bowling Green dropping baseball, right? I mean, Obviously, that is not an easy decision. And considering the fact that apparently their athletic director was a former baseball player, um, I'm sure, I mean, walking into that room telling your coach and your players that, hey, we're cutting your program, I know that's a difficult thing. Uh, It makes me wonder, though, um, would you say that some of these programs that are being cut would just be on a short hiatus, or do you think that they're going to be cut permanently? I think from a financial standpoint, um, I I think they're they're gone – for a a good stretch of time, uh, if not uh, all the way permanently. Um, There's been a lot of talk about um, alums uh, and uh, uh, former players uh, trying to raise money to keep programs going, but but how can you guarantee that that money is going going to be there? And it's tough. You know, you talk about Bowling Green baseball. I've spent a, a number of very chilly, darn right cold, uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sundays at Stellar Field in Bowling Green, Ohio, broadcasting early Mid-American Conference baseball between the Bobcats and Bowling Green. Now, that wasn't exactly a trip to the, the, the tropics. Uh, didn't necessarily enjoy it as far as the, the cold and that, but, but I wanted them to keep playing baseball. So it, it is unfortunate uh, when it comes to uh, programs being cut. Uh, and if you're going to financially plan you're not just doing it for one or two years. You're doing it for five or 10. Uh, what's interesting is Bowling Green, uh, they, there was some talk about dropping hockey. Uh, hockey's important there. Uh, they, they were able to raise enough money to keep hockey going. Uh, but this is a different time now with the virus. Um, so uh, to, to make plans on potentially bringing it back, I think the decisions that are made right now are at least made for a decade, if not longer. Wow. Wow. <laughs> that's not what I was expecting. No, no, that's sad. Wow. Um, you know, we felt a little bit of the brunt of it with Appalachian State. They've decided to drop a few sports as well. Um, I think they dropped men's soccer, which actually Louisiana doesn't have. Uh, but they do have men's tennis. And, and I think they have men, uh, they dropped either men or women's track and field. I think it was men's it was track both. and field. Uh, two sports that we compete against them in. So that's gonna going to affect our schedule. That's going to affect... Uh, the way that we compete and how we prepare for the competition and conference, just like it's going to prepare you uh, when you when your baseball team is facing uh, Bowling Green or when they were would be facing Bowling Green in baseball. And I think wasn't it you mentioned Akron? I believe Akron dropped some sports as well. Um, but 
you know, right now also, too, uh, another Mac school that came to mind was uh, Central Michigan. I've heard that their budget has been kind of down um, recently concerning the, uh, I guess it's the Title IX standards of the number of sports. Um, any news to Central Michigan that you've heard? And the reason why I ask you this is because this affects your competition, so I, I figured I'd ask that as well. Buddy within the MAC is, is doing their own, like we talked about, number crunching. And when it comes to uh, reduction of, of uh, expenditures um, and uh, uh, your budget that you are working with. So Central has, has come out and uh, uh, unveiled their plan. Western Michigan uh, in, in our league as well, uh, Central's primary rival, uh, they've, they've taken a multi-million dollar hit uh, for their budget. Uh, what wow. was interesting, Western, Western Michigan, uh, Steve Hawkins, their longtime men's basketball coach, uh, they parted ways at the end of this past men's basketball season. And so they were in a position where they couldn't really do a national search. Um, their athletic director, Kathy Borgard, was uh, uh, quoted as saying that because of the virus, um, the hiring process for uh, the head coach could not be done the same way that it would have been. Uh, if everything was working without the virus. So there, there are a lot of things that are linked to this uh, in staffing, uh, in program spending, uh, in, in coaching decisions uh, moving forward. And then when it comes to scheduling, I think everybody's going to have hopefully a more regional model. And we touched on that earlier. We touched on conference affiliation and structure. So all of this is linked together and, and money and, and what's possible with that money and and the goals that you're trying to drive for are all things that you have to consider. Yeah. Russ, yeah. You know, we can, we can kind of get into the, we, we can get away from the, the depressing conversation for a little while, you know, your, your relationship with, with Jerry and, you know, other people here at the university of Louisiana grew if if i remember correctly you said 2016 that's right. yeah so um we we have a we have a buddy in common uh jim harris who used to be the head of the rcaf um who is now at uh, the university of maryland and in, in university fundraising uh he and i are, are buddies from uh, when he was in athens and he are he and i are very similar when it comes to uh how we see sports how we how we want to live our life and uh, so he he spent time uh, with you guys down there. In fact, uh, I was I was with him on the day that that the final uh, phone interview occurred uh, for the job as, as the head of the RCAF. And we went uh, we were actually on the way up to Chicago right around his birthday. Um, uh, his birthday is my half birthday. I was I was born on, on Valentine's Day. His birthday's August 14th. And so um, we were driving up to Chicago. And we stopped in Indianapolis, actually. There's a great uh, deli in, in downtown Indy, Shapiro's. And we, we sat down and we were talking about the Louisiana position and all that was possible there with Louisiana athletics. And, I, and we both agreed that it was a, a great job and, and it was a job that he had to take. And he did, and he did great work there. So um, I followed the Cajuns, obviously, as a sports nut. First time I saw the Cajuns was when uh, Louisiana was USL at the time. And uh, Brian Mitchell um, came on up to DeKalb, and uh, Northern Illinois beat uh, USL and uh, uh, the Cold uh, in 1989. Uh, a, a quarterback run by Stacey Robinson. Some of your older fans, more veteran fans, will remember 
uh, that game. Um, and that was around the big West days uh, in that crazy structuring of conference uh, conferences at the time. Uh, but anyway, so I, I knew about Louisiana and I knew about the great uh, uh, tradition uh, in so many things there. So anyway, uh, 2016, Ohio was playing uh, in, in the bowl in Mobile and uh, uh, the Cajuns were playing Southern Miss uh, in New Orleans. And so it was an opportunity for me to come down and, and hang out and, and meet you all and uh, uh, meet, meet the Cajun fans. And uh, it was a fun time. Uh, and uh, uh, Jim uh, uh, left and, and did some great work. And now he's at Maryland. He and his beautiful bride, Carrie. Uh, it was a great wedding. They, they got married in Napa. So I was there around some, some Cajun boosters as well. Uh, so it's, it's been fun. And, and, and the friendship uh, uh, with uh, Jerry. Uh, and obviously, we, we follow each other on Twitter, Matt. So um, yeah, my, my connection to uh, the Cajuns and the program from afar is, is one of uh, respect. Uh, I root you all on. Uh, whenever I, I, whenever it's game day and, and Jerry and I are texting, I, I spell go G E A U X. So I know there about all of that. Nice. Um, yeah. But, and, and, you know, we, we've texted each other, Jerry, during, uh, during games, which is fun. Cause you're a smart yeah. sports guy. And, uh, so it, it's just really cool. And I, I respect the heck out of the program there. And so, yeah, it was a fun time in 16 and here we are doing a podcast amongst a, a pandemic in 2020. <laughs> and hopefully we have perfect vision moving forward. Well, you know, Russ, the, the hangout in 2016 might have been fun, but that bowl game sure wasn't. No. no. Yeah. Fun. You know, there was, there was a, a, if I remember, there was a third or fourth quarter push there. There was, there was a drive where, where either the dean needed to make a stop, Southern Miss got a first down, yep. um, and, and there was a long drive there, I think, for the Eagles that, that put the game out of reach. Yeah, uh, but that was that was the first time hanging out, and 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 I like to have a good time, and I I think you know, uh, Cajun fans know that that uh, our our buddy Jim Harris is is a social individual as well, so seeing all that in the preparation for the game, and the cool part about that too, was Cajun basketball was playing UNO, uh, on that day as well, uh, so it was really just awesome to to meet so many great Cajun fans, and uh, I'd like to say that I'm I'm a Cajun fan myself, pulling for you all. Didn't necessarily like that 20-point loss that Ohio took last year at Peden Stadium, but, but we'll see what <laughs> happens in the next in, in the return game down down to the swamp. And you know it's funny you mentioned that because I remember that's where I, yeah we met at the Marriott uh, where the team was staying in 2016 the night before the bowl game and I remember Jim introducing right. me to you and I was like oh cool yeah I mean he's like oh he's a friend I think he introduced you as this is my friend Russ from Ohio we worked together at Ohio University so I'm thinking right. you know I thought you worked in the administration I thought you might have done something like I don't know worked in the front office for the Ohio um, uh, athletic department and I'm like well, what do you do yeah. you're like well I do radio I'm, I'm the voice of the Ohio Bobcats. I'm like, oh, great, because I've, you know, I've done sports radio as well in the past, and right. um, you know, we, we kind of hit it off then, and you were telling me that, uh, yeah, like you said, Ohio was in the bowl game in Mobile at the time, and um, it's funny because uh, that was when you, you were there for probably about a, almost a little over a week, right? Because the, the bowl game wasn't like it was this year in, in Mobile where it was way after New Year's. I believe the bowl game was a little – that I don't know if it was it right before or after Christmas. It was pretty. It was a lot sooner than it was this year. It, yes, you're right. So the the old setup for the old uh, GMAC Bowl, GoDaddy Bowl, was it the Lending Tree Bowl now? Lending Tree Bowl. Uh, now, you all, yeah. Yep, you all were in against Miami, and I got to tell you, uh, even though there's MAC affiliation, uh, Miami is Ohio's primary rival. So even ah. though there was a conference affiliation there, 
there were a lot of Bobcat fans because of the, the, the sports hatred for Miami that were rooting uh, for the Cajuns on that night. But you're right. Um, it went uh, – uh, the, the New Orleans Bowl was one of the first bowls uh, that year. And uh, actually uh, hung out there and uh, uh, drove over to Mobile uh, with uh, Jim and Carrie. Uh, they were moving at uh, – she was moving at the time and, uh, and, and moving to uh, Lafayette. And so helped them with that. It just worked out perfectly. Uh, because our team, our Ohio's team, came in maybe the day or, or a day after that we were all in Mobile. And so it just worked out awesome uh, to, to be able to link everything together. And, and you never know how, how paths cross and who you're going to meet. But the bottom line is, and this, this is beyond sports, if, if, you're, if you're a good person, if you're an outgoing person, if you're acceptance of others, who knows what kind of fun that you can have. Uh, and, and it's just really cool that we get to be, do a podcast together uh, in 2020 when I'm up in Illinois and y'all are in Louisiana. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's safe to say that, uh, you know, we formed a friendship over the past few years. And and, and look, I'll tell you this, uh, Russ, and I think Matt, Matt can I can speak on behalf of Matt as well. Um, you know, we we kind of look at Ohio the same way. Uh, from afar, just like I'm sure you look at us down here in Louisiana, there's there's so many similarities between the two the two schools because again we 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 go through the same problems, we compete the same way. Uh, now, granted, you mentioned hockey. Now, hockey down here is sort of an enigma to us. Uh, we really don't get that privilege of ice. <laughs> it's, a, we did, it's a beautiful, we, beautiful game. It's a beautiful game. Uh, I wish it was a little more prevalent in the South than it is. Uh, I've got relatives up north that, I mean, they're big time Buffalo Sabres fans, and so they oh, treat it mm. like, like we treat. You know, I mean, it's it's big. So so we understand, um, we understand how big hockey is. But even outside of that, uh, Russ, um, you know, I, I'm the same way with Ohio. I, I enjoy watching. Uh, like when you guys come on TV during the week, or if you're in a, a you know an 11 o'clock kickoff, you know where I can watch it on TV. Uh, I enjoy seeing what what the Ohio Bobcats can do, even in basketball. I remember uh, the basketball team made a run a few years ago, and uh, they actually I think I picked them in my bracket, and I remember they actually won me some money. So uh, thank you for that. <laughs> um, in the meantime, um, but but even then, um, yeah, I, I want to say that uh, you know we kind of look at it the same way because of the business model and, and, and we understand, you know, look, there's just like Cajuns, the Ohio fan base, they're a bunch of hardworking people, you know, a blue collar, uh, nose to the grind. Um, they grind every day. And, and I think it's safe to say that, um, you know, again, like we talked about earlier in the, in the conversation about G five schools, what you're going through, we're going through what we're going through, you're going through. And so um, I think we all have a common goal and hopefully, hopefully come September. And in a few years, when you guys make the return trip, we can, uh, we can put this, we can put this behind us, all of this pandemic stuff behind us and, and just enjoy a good game of football and a great matchup between friends. But I tell you, Hey, my perception of Ohio this year, I'm going to tell you, man, your game, the game up in, up in uh, Athens was our measuring stick, at least for in, in my, in my, in my view, um, you know, coming into the season, uh, you had a big win against San Diego State in the bowl game that was very noticeable. Uh, my reaction was, oh, geez, like, this team is good. We're going to have our hands tied behind our back. We're going to play. Hopefully we don't play with our hands tied behind our backs going to that play, going up to Athens and going up to their place. But um, I'll put it to you this way. 
I knew we had a really solid team when we were able to beat Ohio. Like that was a measuring stick to me. Whenever we won the way we did, that's when I realized like this, we can make a run. And, um, but it's a compliment to Ohio that, you know, the Bobcats were a really, really good measuring stick to our fan base. We were really looking forward to that game. Yeah. And, and, and uh, I, I think that Bobcat fans would say the same thing about Louisiana as well. Um, when you take a look at, at uh, what the program was doing, uh, what was possible. Um, and I remember uh, that game very well. Uh, it was a beautiful day, uh, bright sunshine, uh, a really good non-conference game to play uh, between two schools that had uh, high hopes for their, for their league title. And obviously uh, Louisiana playing in the championship game and Ohio, unfortunately not getting to Detroit, but uh, the size, um, the, the, the speed uh, and, and the way that the Cajuns play, they're very well coached. I and mean, that goes back to Billy Napier and, and, and the rest of uh, the coaching staff. But that also takes some responsibility with the players, too. And, and the way that Louisiana was able to put that game away was, was impressive, not only on the offensive side, but defensively, too. Ohio just really couldn't get it going offensively in that game. And I think the Cajun defense was a big reason why. Uh, and also, you look at the sideline uh, last year. That changes this year. But the visitor sideline at Peden Stadium uh, was right, is right below our booth. So it's the west side of Peden. And, and there's, there was a good deal of spirit on that sideline. And, and Ohio has that, too. Uh, but that really struck me about how together the Cajuns were. And I think that, that your coaching staff uh, and maybe media coverage of what the game was like um, was really uh, pounded into everybody's uh, thought process that it was a measuring stick game, that it was a big game. And, and to be honest, you know, it's a long trip. Obviously, you guys play in a league where there are long, a lot of long trips. Um, but you could tell it was a business approach. And, um, yeah, I, I was impressed by it, and I know a whole lot of Ohio fans were, too. You know, um, Jerry and Russ, I actually have a thing for both of y'all. Jerry, you need to tell your family to pick a better hockey team to cheer for. What, what do you mean? <laughs> what? The, oh, the, you're talking about the Sabres? Yeah. Man, I, yeah. That's, your family needs to pick a better team. I have, a, I have a, my cousin's husband. He's from Buffalo, so naturally he's going to be a Sabres fan. Personally, that's not, that's I, not an excuse. I'm an, I'm an outsider looking in, man. I just like some good hockey. I, I can watch. I can turn it on TV and just watch a game, have a beer, and and just enjoy enjoy some talent on the ice. Uh, I really don't have a favorite team, uh, to be honest with you. But but come playoff time and when the Stanley Cup comes around, man, you can you can bet I'm gonna be on my couch watching watching a good matchup. And I see and, and seeing the passion from the fans, you know, it's amazing how passionate hockey fans are. And and again. Russ down here, it's sort of an enigma in the South because you know we've got the Dallas Stars. That's really the closest sure. team we have. We've got the Tampa. We've got Tampa Bay, but that that's really it, you know. Uh, and, and of course we got uh, we had Florida, and then I think Carolina was the closest. Nashville. But Nashville as well. The Predators. I do like the Predators. I got it. No, I've been. I, I like the Predators, but. But again, um, it's a it's a very very fun sport, especially when you go to the game. I've been to I've never been to an NHL game, but I have been to a few uh, games locally, and and it's the I can about imagine the ice skaters. Well, we had the brass before too in New Orleans, but yeah. um, that was when we were in the E E, e- C H L. Yeah. But but I tell you, man, I would love to go to an NHL game with twenty thousand screaming fans. I bet it's a, I bet it's a blast. 
that's a lot of fun. Yeah, it is really cool. And you, you bring up Buffalo. Obviously, we have a in the MAC, we have a, a great deal of uh, Buffalo experience. Obviously, they're in our league. Ohio won there in overtime in football this year. And uh, I'm not much on flying. Don't like it very much. It's what we have to do in our business. But um, yeah. there have been some some white knuckle 30 seater plane rides uh, into Buffalo. Uh, I remember a couple of years ago, the pilot said that vi- visibility was low on the way into Buffalo in, in February. Well, low meant zero, and we didn't see much of anything until we were on the ground there. Thank God we were. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, Buffalo is, in some respects, um, the most uh, Canadian-American city uh, because they, they, they love their Sabres and uh, obviously being real close to Canada, too. You see, Russ, I wanted to ask you, you see, when, when, it, comes, when it comes to the podcast, I'm a little bit of a researcher. I prepare probably sometimes too much. I I read that you spent two years of your career in Oklahoma City as the studio host for the New Orleans Hornets. I did, yep, and that was uh, that was an amazing time. And yeah, what what was that there. like? Yeah, it was. Um, we we could talk for hours about it, and and really. Um, Bottom line, it comes down to it, it was it was a tough emotional balance because the reason why I got that job was because um, of of the hurricane and obviously all that went into that and just the devastation and everything that was involved with that. So a, a real positive in my life occurred because of, of suffering and, and unfortunately a tough incident for others. And I, I'm an emotional guy. I think about the emotions of others. And so that was, that was a tough thing to deal with. Um, and it happened very quickly. I was 25 at the time. So if you were to take a look at the ages of all the broadcasters in the NBA, be it a studio host, color analyst, or, or uh, play-by-play, I was, the, I was the youngest in the league at that time. Uh, and to put everything together in Oklahoma City, uh, and it was Oklahoma City's audition to the NBA, um, it, was, um, it, it was interesting, to say the very least. Um, and, and the previous studio host um, for, the, uh, for the Ben Hornets um, is now the play-by-play voice of the Pelicans, Todd Graffinini, who was a, a play-by-play voice for Tulane uh, and a diehard greenie. Uh, so he couldn't make it to Oklahoma City for that for that position. Obviously, dealing with the hurricane, um, it was something that that he couldn't do. And so, therefore, that was when Sean Kelly was the play-by-play voice. He's moved on to ESPN Radio now. Um, but Sean is a fellow SIU Saluki, and uh, he called me up and said, "Hey, do you want to come to Oklahoma City?" And uh, thus started a, a two-year ride of being on the air in Louisiana, in Mississippi. Uh, and in Oklahoma on on the radio network, and to be 25 and in the NBA, and then all the rest of the things that you add on to it, uh, TV work, uh, I filled in on Jerry Valancourt's show in New Orleans the day that the the Saints got Drew Brees, and it was the easiest sports talk show I had ever done in my career, because literally it was just loaded lines talking about how excited everybody was that Drew Brees was coming to the Saints. So there, there are a million stories about all that. The bottom line, 
Um, it was it was an honor to be able to provide some entertainment to 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 fans and just people that that dealt with so many tough things in their lives. And we knew that our game broadcasts um, were were a couple hours of of fun for people that were dealing with so many tough things. And um, obviously Oklahoma City got a team after that. That was their audition. Uh, And obviously, you know, Seattle uh, moved to Oklahoma City, so that was tough too. But it was a wild ride, man. And um, I did minor league baseball in those two summers in Eugene, Oregon. Uh, So it was 76 games in 80 days, and it was very much Bull Durham-like. So we got a lot of stories for on-air and off-air. And then I left there because I wanted to come back to the NBA play-by-play-wise. I got Idaho State for a year as a voice and then went to Ohio and still on the look. Uh, Obviously, I have some goals in my career that I'd love to accomplish, and and broadcasting on the play-by-play side and the pros would be something that I would love to do. Uh, Been close a couple of times, but hopefully that that does occur uh, in the future. But, yeah, that that experience in Oklahoma City was was, – it was a lot. And uh, I I owe a lot to Sean Kelly uh, for allowing me to come up there, and and we did some great work together. And hopefully, hopefully some fans in Louisiana remember our broadcast from that time. You see, as a as a Louisiana, you know, native and a basketball freak, the Hornets and the Pelicans have always been my favorite team. Um, but you know, Katrina days, I was I was a little too young. Yeah, that was uh, that that was uh, obviously an interesting time uh, to to say the very least. But I'm 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 so glad. Um, that the city of New Orleans has come back and, and hopefully, you know, makes it, makes it all the way through this pandemic. Well, and so, yeah, I, I've got, I've got a lot of ties in my life to my broadcasting career. And, and I, I think great things for New Orleans, hope great things for the, the entire state of Louisiana. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget my, my number still is a four Oh five number from the time that I was in Oklahoma city. Uh, no. So I'll, I'll never forget. I, I think about that. I think about that experience every day. It was it was very bittersweet for me because at the time I was still, you know, I was still a New Orleans native before I moved to Lafayette. I was in high school and we were displaced in Lafayette, ironically. And um, being able to watch the Hornets, even though they were in Oklahoma City, um, while being displaced, it, it still felt good to see that there was a touch of home that I could still watch and enjoy. You know, granted, the Saints were playing that year, but there was so there was I mean, the Saints were just, you know, they were such an disarray at the time you know Jim Hazlitt was on his way out um you know this was right before the Sean Payton Drew Brees era and they they were practicing in a parking lot you know so they just they had nothing going their way and so uh, when the Hornets came on seeing how Oklahoma City opened their arms and allowed them to practice in their facilities play in their arena uh it was bittersweet and I say bittersweet because Oklahoma City adopted the team so quickly that I was worried that, man, they might stay there. They got to come home. No, they can't stay in Oklahoma city, but it was a, um, it was a, it, it, it's, it's, it's signal, it's signaled to the NBA that Oklahoma city is a very diehard NBA town and they had the potential to support a team. And of course the rest was history. Once the Seattle supersonics decided to move there, but um, very bittersweet time for me watching the Hornets and, um, you know, I'll tell you this though, uh, Russ. I didn't like seeing Oklahoma City on their jerseys. I'll admit, uh, it was that was tough to watch. But I still, you know, I remember being at a friend's house here in Lafayette and and really cheering them on. They pulled off a win, and I was jumping up and down and 
going crazy <laughs> because it, it kind of gave me a little gave me a little bit of reminder of home, even though I was displaced. Well, I, I can understand that. Uh, and it was, it was, it was odd to see the abbreviation, the NOLA OKC. OKC yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, and you're right about, you know, the Ford center at that time wasn't as, uh, as, uh, sparkling as it is now. They, they've gone through renovation since, but, um, what, what was incredibly odd about all of that, um, it was amazing that it occurred this way, but, but prior to getting the job with the Hornets, I was working with Illinois state um, and uh, doing some work locally there and, and on their broadcast, but Southern Illinois that year went to the NCAA tournament, played Oklahoma state in the second round after beating St. Mary's in the first round. And it was a buddy and I uh, made the drive to Oklahoma city. So I was in that arena uh, in, in the NCAA tournament in 2005 in March then later that year, obviously, uh, I was in that arena in October. Uh, so wow. it was, it was a wild experience to, to be sure. Uh, so it, it's amazing how you put all the pieces of somebody's life and career together. Uh, and hopefully there's some good pieces left to be connected, uh, for, for myself and, and for you guys too, and your respective line of works. Yeah, there's, there's no doubt about that. Russ, you know, we, we appreciate you coming on spending the time with us, um, offering an insight of this pandemic, you know, kind of from the, from inside the department. Um, you know, we, we've had a, we've had some fans come on, talk about their point of view. We had a former player come on, talk about what he's, he's kind of seeing, but you know, that diff, it's definitely a different perspective and it's a perspective that, that some people I hope will enjoy, enjoy listening to. Well, guys, it was my pleasure, and uh, you two are great guys and, and obviously diehard Cajun fans, and uh, I mean it when I say that it's a great fan base. It's a program that does have a lot of potential, uh, has, has great history already. Uh, it was fun seeing the Cajuns come in this year. Uh, it was fun to see uh, the Cajuns back in 2016, um, and, and in addition to Go Cats, uh, I, I say Go Cajuns too, so uh, hopefully everybody stays safe and healthy. And uh, we get back to uh, some sort of normalcy moving forward. But, but health is the most important. And I wish you guys nothing but the best in that regard and, and nothing but the best for the Cajuns, too. Well, thank you so much for coming on with us, Russ. Such a pleasure. And best of luck to everything, uh, to you and your family. I know you're in Illinois right now, but also wish you the best of luck through this recovery period uh, up in Ohio. And, and, and we hope the best for uh, – the Ohio Bobcat family um, and all of your fans associated with it, as well as yourself. Hopefully uh, come, come September, we're talking about a football season and, and what to look forward to. But I guess in a situation like this, you got to take it day by day, right? Yep. Day by day, put those pieces together, be healthy for yourself and others. You talk about being selfless. This is the time for that. A lot of life lessons that, that athletics teaches us. That they talk about in that great locker room at, at uh, uh, in Louisiana. Um, you know, I've, I've seen some of the videos there of Billy Napier visiting with his team and getting his team fired up. Well, this is the time where a lot of those life lessons come into play, not only for a ball club, but for an entire society. Uh, and yeah, you're right. Uh, it's been a lot of fun and hopefully we can do this again soon. All right, Russ, like I said, appreciate it, man. And like you said, we'll, uh, we'll talk down the line. Sounds good guys. Thank you.